0: Uh-huh. Yeah. It's all about the Benjamins, baby. Well, not quite. I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is
1: now. You will likely notice that I'm not Chris Brummer. Instead, I'm Enrique Dupergres. I'm the co CEO and co founder of Brex. And for the next half an hour, I'll have the pleasure of doubling as your host for this fireside chat with Chris. And as the first co-host of Chris's FinTech Beat podcast, we're switching things around such that in the FinTech community, we get to interview Chris. We at Brex were really taken by not only the podcast, but also Chris's path-breaking work on FinTech, FinTech regulation, and diversity. So we wanted to ask him some questions and picks his brain on some issues that impact us and pretty much everyone in the fintech community. For those of you who may not know Chris, he's a professor of law at Georgetown and a passionate advocate for fair and inclusive financial innovation. And his work has been featured in venues spanning from CNN, Bloomberg, Fast Company, The Wall Street Journal, and countless others. Chris, before I get into your research, I'm a little curious about your experience and trajectory in fintech. You talk to regulators all over the world and market participants around the globe. But when you look at the fintech ecosystem, what do you see, and what motivated you to dig into not only the technical and legal conundrums in the space, but also the cultural side of things?
0: Great, and thanks so much, Enrique. Uh, you know, from my perch here in Washington, I'm seeing a lot, and the motivations driving my fintech work are varied. But before I jump into that, I just wanted to say thanks to you. It's it's pretty interesting having a guy who created a successful billion dollar company like Brex asking me about my journey. And and it's really appreciated. And getting to your question, uh, I, I find fintech really interesting, like you. And it's a space animated by all different kinds of actors from crowdfunding platforms to big data, AI, payments, mobile lending. And you see... Across this ecosystem that spans everything from cybersecurity to cryptocurrencies, you know, a a common kind of theme based on democratizing financial services, on financial inclusion, uh, uh, really sort of breaking down barriers as it pertains to sort of legacy financial systems. And I think that that was just really an interesting, you know, uh, space, you know, to, to think about, uh, even as an academic and to think really um, also concretely about whether or not and, and the degree to which uh, the entire ecosystem from the private side all the way to the regulators, you know, to, to what degree are actors sort of living up to the ideals, you know, that, that that kind of power this particular space. and And it's just been a really interesting journey.
1: So, yeah I think that like you know if you look at a past century and uh, how much banks were a big percentage of our our, um, our our general stock market right and then now technology mega caps are kind of the main the main players there but and I think you know fintech um, there's a chance they, they become super relevant again compared to the banks in the previous century so I totally agree with you that's like super relevant and it spans so many technologies
0: well, you, you know, um, and, and just to jump in there, I mean, like, like literally, fintech is transforming what it means to be a bank, you know, and it's and, and transforming what is financial services, right? So, you know, it, everyone's kind of geeking out, I mean, whether or not you're on the tech side, whether or not you're on the, the lawyerly side of things, to try to figure out, well, what's happening, how do you define it, and then and then how do you deliver on, again, some of the ideals uh, from which a lot of these services and industries, you know, have have kind of come to market.
1: You wrote a paper that has received a lot of attention recently. In it, you call out that not only 3% of all financial regulators in the U.S. have been black. No federal financial regulatory agency has had more than three African-Americans participate as members over the course of its entire existence. Average out over the last nine years, this translates to approximately one African-American being appointed to a federal financial regulatory agency every ten years. Let's start off by just describing your research. Can you tell us about it?
0: Yeah. So, so what you're talking about is is a paper, you know, uh, and it's called "What What Do the Data Reveal uh, About?" And then in parentheses, I have black uh, financial regulators. Um, and it's a it's a paper that I wrote and and it was published over at Brookings, the Brookings Institution in Washington D.C. In which, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm kind of interested in the ecosystem. And a lot of times when people talk about diversity um, in industry, they're, they're not always thinking about the fact that regulators play a vital role in, in, in our ecosystem. They help to standardize terms and and to set expectations. And I wanted to know, you know, well, well, what does the historical representation look like of, of, of Black people? I mean, we're in a, uh, you know, an important historical moment. Uh, people are understanding that there are sort of persistent gaps in, in racial wealth and inequality. And, you know, as you think about the, 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 the solutions and, and, and when you think about sort of the, the general challenges, you know, where and to what degree do our financial regulators, you know, sort of fit in that space? And, 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 and what I tried to do was to look at two things. So on the first hand, I did like a, a kind of historical analysis and um, our analysis was set our, for the data uh, was was July fourth, twenty twenty, and to sort of look backwards and see, well, how many people total? And there were only ten black regulators after out of three hundred and twenty seven. Uh, since then, that number that 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 denominator has 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 grown, and the stats have gotten a little bit worse. Um, But when you look over the history of financial regulation, there's never been a black chair of the SEC or a chair of the the Securities and Exchange Commission or a black chair of the Federal Reserve or of the CFTC. There's never been a black comptroller of the currency. Uh, You can go on and on and on. And, you know, that kind of has an implication for, uh, uh, you know, uh, people's expectations at at times. And and, uh, more importantly... uh, I was curious to figure out, well, well, how does that trickle down into other areas of policy leadership? So the second half of the study focused on um, one date of time, again, July 4th, 2020, to just look at, well, outside of the political appointees, that, that is the people who come through the system to become the kinds of uh, regulators that we read about, well, well who are those people hiring? Um, and to look sort of across the ecosystem and and there the numbers were were, were really uh, depressing. As as Democrats and, and Republicans have sort of told me uh, uh, privately and and uh, publicly, there were a lot of zeros. And 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 when you don't get the input from all different parts of of uh, the community, um, you know it, 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 it questions how rigorous uh, the rules are, and, and that in and of itself can have a kind of a, a spillover for 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 industry and for consumers.
1: That's, that's, that's super interesting. You know, I, um, I don't know if your paper uh, covered this or not, but I'd be curious to know how that compares to other places in the world. Is this like a U.S. specific issue or this is like more of a global thing?
0: You know, that's such an interesting question. And so I think that one of the most interesting, um, sort of, sort of, Sources of input that I received after doing the paper, and 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 in the paper, I'm very explicit. I I sort of say, "Look, this is not a partisan issue. I mean, this is a you know when you go back 90 years to the origins of a of of the New Deal agencies. You know, if you're a history buff, you know, yeah, you know, both parties have had more than their fair share of, um, of 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 sort of not delivering on on or the representativeness of their agencies. But when I did the paper, I mean, I heard from regulators all over the world." Uh, and, and, and it was an occasion, they said, uh, to sort of look at their own regulatory policies, because they said, you know, the whole world is, 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 is quite diverse, even within countries that we don't always think of as being the most diverse. And they said, well, you know, y- this is really important. You know, are our rules reflecting the reality of everyone in our country or as many people as we can so that we can get, you know, uh, rules that, that, that speak to their, to their needs? And, and so I was very gratified by the fact that I heard from, again, people, you know, other regulators in North America, in Europe, Africa. It was it was really quite amazing.
1: Super, super interesting. So for those um, political novices, how does someone even get appointed to be a financial regulator? Um, do you need to be a political insider? Who appoints the agency leadership?
0: So, you know... Uh, you know, it, it, it is fascinating. You know, the, it, many people sort of of, of my age may, may remember there's this cartoon uh, uh, called Schoolhouse Rock, you know, where, where this little, uh, literally a piece of paper goes over to Congress saying, I'm just a bill. Uh, you know, it, whereas the, the, the process for, for regulators is sort of much more shrouded in mystery, um, uh, typically and, and certainly officially legally. Uh, you have these political appointees, um, where the president of the United States sort of uh, identifies individuals and says, "Hey, I, I want you to be my regulator for um, the FDIC, um, uh, or I want to be—I want you to be the regulator for the SEC, the securities regulator." And then you have to go through a confirmation process on the Hill, where then um, you're basically confirmed by, by by the Senate, and then you take office. So it's kind of similar. Uh, in many ways to a Supreme Court justice or a Secretary of State or any other high level official. Now, now the trick is, and this is what's in the data, which is, you know, um, very interesting, a regulatory agency, our re- regulatory agencies are really different. Sometimes you have five people on them, sometimes you only have one person who's really in charge and driving it. Um, and so when you have multiple agencies, I'll use one example that people may know or be familiar with, the Securities and Exchange Commission. By statute, there's a limit on how many people of one party can serve on it, right? So even though we're a little bit of a weird instance because our current chairman is a a political independent, to keep things really easy, the law kind of says, at any given point in time, you can have three Republicans and two Democrats, or you can have three Democrats and two Republicans, which means even where the president is of one party, there has to be an appointment made of a regulator of the opposite party. And in that instance, the Senate becomes a very important institution. And the only reason why I I even go through all of the the, the details for people who are sort of, again, regulatory buffs, is because what what the data show in the report is that when you look at those 10 people historically, historically, who have become regulators? It's almost invariably when the president is of the same, is of their party. In other words, when the president is not of their party, and when sort of the the Senate is in control of things, the Senate has not historically taken it upon itself to sort of sponsor a black regulator. So, it, it, you know, a black regulators almost invariably appear when it's the president. Trying to make a point, sort of nationally, and and and, and that's and that's a, a a kind of weird thing. Um, uh, and, and, but you know, uh, it, it is one of the picadillos, if one will, when you look at the historical nature and 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 the uh, infrequency of, of of blacks becoming uh, financial regulators.
1: And then just to you know be a little bit more specific, um, so uh, I and everyone else can help. It. Are you talking more about the leadership or even the, and the staff? Um, rankings of the regulators
0: good point good point so so it is definitely the leadership so um, and the report tried to do the following you know we 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 wanted to 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 paraphrase hamilton you know Uh, the musical, we want to see who's in the room when policy happens, right? So, you know, when when it comes to devising rules for capital standards or for disclosure or, you know, prudential rules to make sure that, you know, entities aren't too big to bail, you know, who's actually helping to create those rules? And we, and and that's how we kind of define policy. And then by leadership, we had two tiers, the political appointees. And then they're immediate deputies, so leaders. You know? So if you're the chairman, you may have, or or a, or a commissioner you, uh, at a regulatory agency, you may have you know, your consigliere kind of counselors, you know, and each one will be able to hire maybe two or three counselors. So they were included in the data. And then there are sometimes heads of divisions, and those heads of divisions were included in the data. We did not go any further than that, and and we really focused on, again, policy leadership. We did not go into, you know, how many blacks are in IT. We did not go into how many blacks are in um, legislative or communications departments in regulatory agencies. I wanted to know who's doing the policy. And that's what we, and that's what we focused on.
1: Interesting. And what do you think that this lack of diversity, you know, mean for the efficacy of, um, Federal financial policy. So, so you know,
0: I I look at regulation, um, you know, uh, you know, a lot like I, I, uh, you know, I, I would suppose a lot of people think about um, many financial services in in the sense that you know, reg- regulation is is in a way the ultimate kind of consumer facing good, right? Because it it impacts kind of everybody. Um, and, and so when you think about regulation in general, right and, and how it has an impact uh, for those who are listening, when you think about financial regulation, again, it, it comes to it, it helps determine how capital is allocated in society. Um, it, it helps to determine who gets bailouts and who doesn't, uh, how information is disclosed what what frequency and what are the kinds of, of, of requirements and how investors are protected and what kinds of warning language uh, should be used. Um, and, and I only stress that because, it, you know, so many times when you think about financial regulation and if you're ever going to talk about it in the context of race, you know, you you, you think about it. Where race is most explicitly involved, so you know you're thinking housing discrimination, um, you know, uh, because obviously of the history of redlining in the country, or you may be thinking about um, student loan discrimination or other kinds of lending products as pertaining to uh, racial minorities. But even when it comes to sort of the facially neutral stuff, you know, dis, you know, rules can have uh, consequences for people just just uh, because of the um, outcomes. And, and and when it comes to the efficacy, you know, rules um, are designed with assumptions made about the people they are intended to protect and support. And without the input of people or at least people coming from communities and therefore having a certain kind of knowledge about those communities, rules can be less effective and, and could even end up undermining people instead of helping them. Um, and, and so if you have rulemaking uh, without African-Americans, without other critical, you know, uh, minorities and, and other groups, um, you know, it, it really deprives agencies of the input and experience, um, and, and for black people in particular, uh, of the community that the financial system has at least historically uh, most failed. And so what I, what I, what I tell folks is, well, I mean, if you, would you want to create a banking regulatory regime without ever hearing uh, from a bank as to what their opinion is about those rules? You know? uh, Well, you know, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, like, you know, you you may, you may want to listen to the banks or not listen to the banks, but you'd kind of be curious to know, well, 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 what are you at least going to say? And, you know the, the the same thing. I mean, if if you're having very large swaths of people with certain kinds of historical experiences, particularly with financial services, it, you know, you would want to have that input as as well. Um, particularly, again, in that financial policy space, it, you know, we we pride ourselves on being technocrats, and this is really a technocratic question. You know, how rigorous are
1: are we really going to be? Yeah, no, I think that you know the impact of diversity in private companies has already been proved to be, you know, extremely effective, like in financial policy, it it just seems like crazy to not (laughs) take out more input than they're taking today.
0: And we don't always ask that question, right? I mean, it's, 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 it is interesting.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's crazy to me. Um, Can you tell us about the Stafford pipeline theory discussed in your paper?
0: Yeah. so, 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 okay. So you get all this data. And you see all these zeros, and you're like, kind of like you. Well, well, that looks kind of crazy. <laughs> and 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 you're trying to, you know, th- that naturally leads. And I didn't want to spend too much time but, uh, on it, but because in, invariably people would want to ask, you know, so so why is it that there are so few, uh, you know, black regulators? Well, why have there been so few historically? And 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 one theory that's really popular here in Washington. I live in D.C. Is well, you know, many times the people who become regulators are the uh, staffers. So, former, you know, um, if if you're a senator and you're sitting in a in a in a committee in Congress, you have a staff, and when a nomination comes up or a slot opens up, uh, it's not infrequent that a a person, a senator, may may use a member or, or or suggest that a member of his or her staff become a financial regulator. So so the, the theory to be tested, given this common assumption, is well well maybe the problem is that there that there just aren't enough uh, black people who are staffers in Congress in in the Senate, and, and that if if there were more in the Senate, right, then then maybe the outcome would be that there are then more uh, black regulators. And that's a really interesting theory. I mean, uh, people have have, have, have made you know, comments about the lack of diversity on, on the Hill. So I, I kind of wanted to test that, that theory uh, and to look at historically uh, how many financial regulators had uh, in their past been a staffer at some point in time. Right, and you know uh, when you're going to look at all the federal regulatory agencies, it, it, there was a, there were a whopping two of the ten or twenty percent uh, who had been Senate staffers who were black, and and there were only, if I recall correctly, seventeen or eighteen percent when you look at the the you know the field of the non-black appointees. However, when you take out the the two of the agencies um, uh, where you had the most black representation in general, and I won't go into the data too much, but that that number drops to zero. So the long and the short of it is the data suggest that uh, having uh, some kind of Senate background is helpful and that uh, to the degree to which uh, the Senate staffing is not diverse, that certainly helps to explain outcomes. However, even when you look at the total numbers, there were plenty of people who became regulators who never had any experience in the Senate. So then the paper tries to proceed along a couple of other theories, one of of which was the qualifications theory. So, you know, well, maybe, uh, you know, uh, Maybe the question is, maybe the black candidate, maybe it's a pipeline issue where there are few qualified black candidates. And one aspect of this, so I tested that theory and actually went through to look at the academic qualifications of those 10 versus the 327 who had become uh, regulators. Uh, and it was like really interesting because uh, generally speaking, uh, the, the the black uh, people who, who the African Americans who who became regulators had more degrees and higher education. So uh, the the qualifications theory didn't really work. The staffer theory was only partially explanatory. And then you have to sort of get into sort of um, 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 other political economy kinds of stories, and then and then sort of psychology theories that I, I couldn't um, test, but I could only sort of outline and suggest for 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 further analysis.
1: So moving on a little bit, um, as well as being an advocate for fair and financial inclusion, Professor Bremer, you're also an expert in other countless financial services and fintech issues. Are there any key trends you see emerging in Q4 and into 2021? What are the most interesting spaces to watch? Yeah,
0: I mean, you know, there's so much uh going on in 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 fintech, you know, um and there are, you know, there are, there are areas that I tend to sort of keep my eye out on, you know, j- just because I think that they're they're interesting and they could be, you know, um um uh, not just sort of a re-engineering, but potentially transformative, right? and then and and then there are areas that that just because of my interest, I, I think in in financial inclusion, you know i I have an eye out on. I think that the big conversation nowadays is on this conversation uh, on the regulatory standpoint is in um, central bank digital currencies. I mean, it's just a huge issue, and it's got the banking community very interested, as well as the central banking and monetary authorities are really interested in this question as to, you know, how and to what degree are we ultimately going to consider redefining what money is? And that's a heck of a conversation. And it's one that has um, this technological gloss to it, you know, like, how do we, what kind of payment systems are we going to use um you know the interoperability of of a, of a central bank payment system with um, other services providers and then and and then there's um sort of the 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 other really interesting stuff happening in the reg tech space um compliance issues you know we're in a digital world in that digital world there are new kinds of threats um, from from um, you know, uh, terrorism to to you know uh, human trafficking and the like you know so so there's a, a range of sort of big data applications in 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 um, you know uh, uh, machine learning, robotics uh, in 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 reg tech and and then finally just those same trends as you know I mean uh, yeah, are are going to just have a kind of larger secular impact on, on the industry, you know, like, like what, how do people harness big data? Um, uh, uh, How effectively can they use it in ways that are um, fair um, uh, and, and, and ethical and, and, and equitable. Um, And, and to what degree are those changes going to end up quite literally restructuring uh, the economy? And, and obviously all of that has been set into pace by the initial, sort of restructuring that, that COVID-19 has, has introduced.
1: And, you know, within um, FinTech, you know, something I was very curious about is I can see arguments on both sides for FinTechs promoting and helping a lot of financial inclusion and reducing bias and helping with that, um, you know, and cons about it's hurting. What's your take on, like, kind of what should be the role of FinTech and how can FinTechs uh, have been historically, uh, you know, making it better? Um, the financial services.
0: I think that um, uh, ultimately, you know there's you know certainly the promise of financial technology and technology writ large when it comes to lending and fair lending is 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 extremely attractive, right? I mean, um, uh, lending hasn't uh, even when you're depending on manual human processes, lending hasn't always been fair in the United States, and there's plenty of evidence that that suggests that that we still have plenty of problems um and uh, and 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 many of the sort of um uh, drivers behind key critical lending decisions uh are, are are drivers where you know if you're poor um much much less also a, a minority you're not necessarily going to be able to um you know successfully be able to, to 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 navigate i mean if your credit scores are dependent on how often you you pay your mortgage and, and you're not rich enough to have a house, but you are paying your rent every month, you know, um, and yet that data is not getting picked up in, in any kind of credit scoring model to the extent to which you can deploy uh, big data or, or other kinds of tools to get a more accurate feel or sense as to the credit risk of an individual, you know, th- that seems like that it, it would be quite helpful in helping to uh, level the playing field for, for people in, in terms of their access to financial services and, and, and credit. But... You know, the the problem is that, that, you know, technology isn't always neutral and that depending on how you structure your algorithms, you can end up replicating some of the same uh, problems that predated the technology. And so a lot of time has to go into constructing fair algorithms. And again, going back to the regulatory standpoint, you know, Um, knowing or having a sense as to people's different habits and priorities can be helpful, you know, uh, both on the regulatory end and on the product design end of things, right? To sort of think through, well, how do I develop this kind of FinTech tool in a way that's really going to be enabling as opposed to disabling?
1: You know, when I, when I got to the U.S. um... I was definitely uh, in a, in a more privileged position. I just had sold my previous company in Brazil, and still I couldn't get a credit card that wasn't secured. Um, and the maximum limit they would give me was four hundred dollars. So I need to put four hundred dollars in a secured account, and they would give me at max four hundred dollars. You know, so every time I wanted to go over that, I had to pay out the four hundred dollars and then you know put some more four hundred dollars in.
0: You know th- that 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 story actually. Um, uh, I heard something very very similar from the current uh, uh, chairman of the FDIC, and she had recounted something very similar when she came to the to the country to the United States that she had encountered very similar problems, and it kind of informed how she looks at at, at financial regulation. And, and, and in a couple of our conversations, she, she's mentioned something very similar.
1: Well, you know, and that's, I think, to highlight the importance of having a diverse opinion on the table, you know, someone who has gone through that. If you have your credit score, you know, since you're 16 or whatever, you know, it's uh, hard to imagine that this would be an issue.
0: Yeah, 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 and, and can I, you know, just to 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 get into to that particular issue, like around the world, you know, this particular issue, you know, um, not just digital identities, but but you know, what kind of data attributes can you use to help to create a kind of you know better scoring model and to give people a kind of identity uh, that is useful for them, you know, it, it's a conversation that that people talk about, you know, I've had conversations with. People from the UN um, Capital Development Fund about this exact issue. Uh, you know, um, p- people who are helping refugees. I mean, it, it, it's an interesting kind of uh, thing that 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 spans not only sort of small business, but also, um, as I said, uh, international d- uh, development and even humanitarian issues.
1: So, um, last question: What are some of the most common mistakes Silicon Valley makes when advocating on the hill?
0: That's a great question because. Um, you know, I, I kind of joke with people and I say, you know, when it, when it comes to fintech, uh, Silicon Valley uh, makes it, New York trades it, and D.C. regulates it, and they can't stand each other. <laughs> and, and you, know, uh, you, you know, I think that, that um, there are different kinds of um, uh, cultures. Um, and, and different kinds of perspectives you know people have about about financial technology and and very often particularly in Silicon Valley, you know and you know we're in our own bubble ourselves over here in DC but but when you're trying to have that conversation and to take that conversation about technology on the road, you know there's this uh, there's this desire to 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 often just talk about the cool stuff right about, about the technology. And, 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 and when, you, when you come to D.C., uh, I think people recognize pretty quickly that regulators kind of want to know also about the not-so-cool stuff. And they're not necessarily doing it to say no, but they do want to know exactly, well, well, what's your, you know, delta? And, 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 you know, what are your upsides? What are your, what, what, what are your downsides? And, and, and that, you know, there is something to be said about uh, sort of a constructive engagement in, in D.C. I mean, so many of the issues in Washington, and when it comes to the regulatory regime, you know, they're in very sort of, gr- there's gray territory. And and a lot of what's going to happen and what you already see happening involves regulators asking themselves, you know, is, is this a company that's operating in the public interest? You know, and and, and is this is this, frankly, a company that we can trust, and you know uh, that, this is a question that's not new to financial services, you know the, the question of, 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 of trust. And, and that question of trust, really, as I said, you know it, 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 it informs how, how people think about you. And, and it's not always clear to me, you know, particularly historically when you look at the different sort of episodes recently over the last couple of years, you know if, if, if companies always fully appreciate the value of goodwill and not just as an accounting, Measure. I'm talking about the, the kind of goodwill mm-hmm. that you need you know when you go to regulators and say, look, you know I've, I've done my homework, let me show you the homework I've done you've seen my my, my, my track record this is going to help people. you know it's a vital um, kind of relationship that you need when you're working on the cutting edge and, and very often when you have a small company that gets big or something and they're suddenly finding themselves in DC, they, they find that out uh, a little bit too late. And, and 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 it really does make um, uh, their their ability to 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 scale and to grow uh, much much more challenging.
1: Great, Chris. Um, it was amazing to have you here, and uh, you know I, I really thank you for for doing this. And I loved our conversation. Hope it's the first of many more.
0: Enrique, I really did as well. Thanks so much for giving me the opportunity, and uh, I look forward as well. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer, D-R. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.